Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sample Size. The only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Wildcard Cameron. And I hear we have something that I'm particularly well-suited to discuss on today's episode. Why don't you kick us off, Sam? Yes, we do. We are going to be talking about Bitcoin this episode because, you know, I thought since we haven't covered the like economics and the economy for 20 episodes before, we might as well just do it two episodes in a row. I love it. I see no problem with this whatsoever. I actually don't. I don't know why I said it like that to make it sound like some weirdo gag. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, how dare you talk about Bitcoin? <laughs> how dare you bring this to us? Let's start this off. What What is this Bitcoin news? Because I follow, like, there's very little news I follow. You know this. You, always, you basically have to explain the news at me every episode. But I actually follow cryptocurrency and crypto markets and distributed ledger technology and stuff like that pretty regularly. So what's, what's up? Let's just jump right into it then. This is about Bitcoin's price falling recently. Bitcoin's price fell 11% on Thursday, January 21st, hitting its lowest price in three weeks. I should mention that this is coming off of the highest rally it's ever had, where Bitcoin was topping over 40K per coin. You know, I'm getting there, Cameron. I know, could, but it's just like, like, I need to contextualize it because when people are like, it fell so much, it's like, it was never that high before. All right. Well, I'll get to it. But for a bit more context, the price of Bitcoin the day before was $34,680 and on Thursday was 29880 at its lowest. And that probably just sounds like a random bit of numbers. But one, this is the first time the price fell below 32000 since January 11th. And this drop meant that the total market value of all cryptocurrencies shed more than $100 billion in 48 hours. Yes. So, and I, I guess this is important to understand, the amount of money you just described wiped out is because Bitcoin is one of the anchor currencies, if you can even... Okay, I need to explain all this first. First of all, I am not like an economist or a crypto economist or a financial advisor. Nothing in this episode, I hope, will lead anyone to think, oh, yeah, I should invest in Bitcoin using this episode as all the knowledge and foundation <laughs> I have. What I do know is that in the cryptocurrency world, the two big coins, and technically there are other third ones people like to point out, but the two big ones are Ethereum and Bitcoin by a lot. Like they are kind mm. of like the big money coins in terms of their networks have utility and they've been around for a long time. So people have a lot of faith in them and both have been forked a lot. But the thing to remember here is Bitcoin is like the one that everyone talks about. And as a result, it's so valuable that like if it goes down, its confidence is the confidence in like so many other coins. Like you'll have small holdouts of like I trust this coin because of this reason. I trust this coin because of this reason. But Bitcoin, the one everyone knows about, it's like hearing that a big company like Tesla or Amazon had some major problem and seeing that ripple down the markets. It's the cryptocurrency that everyone knows about. And so it's the one that if its price falls, like it's the reputation of cryptocurrencies is riding on Bitcoin, I feel like. Yeah. And I should also mention, I'm sure you can put in the show notes, but I did a whole episode about a lot of details on Bitcoin and blockchain and why I have my own gripes with it. So, you know, I just wanted to get that out there now because I feel like I'm going to have to explain some crypto stuff. And if you want a more well-rounded explanation, you can go there for that one. Yes. Go check out his YouTube video and I will put that in the show notes. Definitely. All right. Now that I'm done plugging myself. So, yeah, it dropped. A lot of money came out of it. What happened? Well, that was the main thing that happened. I don't know why you phrased it that way. That was the news. 
But also want to point out, and as you mentioned before, that earlier in January, the price hit $41,940 before going back down again the following week. And more recently, on the 27th, Bitcoin price fell again to $30,000. Like the price of it seems to always be fluctuating. So you wouldn't think that this particular drop would be newsworthy. But it was because what happened two days before the drop was that two big stories came out actually on Tuesday and Wednesday before that drop. One was about double spend and another was about a comment from the new Treasury Secretary. So the rest of this episode is going to be first discussing the double spend news story and then the comment from the new Treasury Secretary. Yeah, these are huge developments because crypto is weirdly just confidence based. Like if you think of a lot of companies and their stocks, it's usually like Tesla makes cars. And so a lot of their confidence is based on their ability to make cars and be a viable company into the future. But Bitcoin to a lot of people who do not follow distributed ledger technologies and blockchains and digital currency in general is this ambiguous thing that like this asset is designed to be resilient to the world economy because it's not reliant on one government or one company. It's Mm -hmm. actually a network of people doing stuff. And so the value of Bitcoin always seems to be like tied to turbulence. Like during when it was rallying was also a time when we were seeing a lot of instability in our country. And people were like, ah, I want to admit this is a lot of conjecture. But I always notice that when the world seems to be on fire, Bitcoin seems to do really well. I mean, again, this is conjecture, but I feel like you can say a similar thing with gold. Like, it seems like when the world's on fire, we're going to go with not the like typical currencies out there. People are going to search other things. And that's actually a really good comparison because it goes into a lot of the terminology around Bitcoin. Like, they're called miners. The people who keep the network alive are mining Bitcoin, like you had miners who would go Mm -hmm. and get gold because it was supposed to be this asset that they had so much confidence and security in, except gold is a physical object. And Bitcoin is this incredible network of honestly trust that is backed by code. But the double spend thing you just brought up is incredibly important because it's a big piece of news that attacks that foundation of what gives people this trust in the code. And Cameron, that's a great point. Let's transition to double spend and what this whole story was about. So first, a report from BitMEX Research came out the day before suggesting that a flaw called double spend occurred in the Bitcoin blockchain. I'm sure Cameron will explain all of this as soon as I say it, but in layman's <laughs> term, double spend is when someone is able to spend the same Bitcoin twice. It's something that was a problem apparently in early attempts at creating a digital currency, but should be impossible with the technology used by Bitcoin. So now, Cameron, please explain better and in more detail what exactly is double spend and why is this a big deal for Bitcoin? So let me start by explaining double spend in the context of your bank. Let's say I wanted to give someone 20 bucks. If I promise you $20 and you give me goods, and I also promise someone else $20 and they give me goods, but I never actually release the $20 to one of them, I basically gotten goods from two people with the same $20 and someone's left holding the bag for missing 20 bucks. Oh, you did something sneaky there. Because I robbed them. Yeah, because you robbed them. Yes, that's the sneaky part. (laughs) That, That is an extremely oversimplified idea for double spend. But basically the reason we have so many financial institutions to 
despite what you might think of them based on other things that are going on with like our Wall Street bets and stuff. <laughs> the benefit of having these centralized institutions is they're supposed to be around to help protect us, first of all, from having to hold the bag for suddenly being out 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. But second, they try to fight this double spend problem. Typically, when you have a bank and I go and I say, I want to spend 20 bucks at this store. While that transaction is pending, if I only have 20 bucks in my account and I try to withdraw it, they're going to be like, no, you promised this other business 20 bucks. So until that transaction settles, even if it was refunded, mm -hmm. you can't touch this 20 bucks because we need to know that those 20 bucks actually went to the person you promised it to and not just because you want to take it out for yourself. Or I guess kind of similar is I know when you use credit cards, as soon as you make a purchase, there'll be like a very tiny transaction fee on it, like a dollar or something. It seems like it's just an indication like, oh, this credit card exists and is working. So I have confidence and I'm going to charge you for the full amount. Yeah. And what makes cryptocurrencies so amazing is they are completely decentralized. The people who run the Bitcoin network are just people, I or you or anyone, people who absolutely do not understand how blockchain works in general, can download the code and run a mining computer of their own to audit the network, to mine on the network, to get cryptocurrencies off the network. Now, admittedly, huh. you need a ton of mining power to even have a chance of mining a block for yourself. But this is trying to explain like the backbone of what makes this so incredible to people is it's a currency that doesn't rely on any one government or bank to facilitate legitimate trusted transactions like you get from your bank. All right, cool. Now, the reason I need to explain that part first is to get into this question of mining and double spend. Yeah. So remember how I said that one transaction was pending and you don't want to just take out the 20 bucks before you can actually give the 20 bucks to the retailer you promised it to? Yeah, what the banks do, yeah. Yeah, well, when you mine a block, that's basically those transactions that are in that block are pending. So what happened here was a person wanted to transfer $25 for whatever reason. And in order to do that, in order for the transfer to be finalized, it has to be mined inside of a block. Because when you mine a block in the network, you're literally just packaging up transactions. For instance, in this case that I want to give $20 to this retailer for something. Mm -hmm. Then people are validating those transactions and adding them to the chain of blocks, blockchain. Now, here's the kicker. Because it's decentralized, in order for your transaction, in order for this request to give 20 bucks for, let's just use an example. I want to... I want to buy a game from GameStop. I give them $20 of, let's say, Bitcoin, and they were going to give me the game. But before that transaction can resolve, someone has to actually mine it. Someone has to take that transaction, look at it, say it's valid, put it inside of the block that is mined. And then once the block finalizes, I get the game, they get my 20 bucks. So like the person having to do this mining transaction validating thing, could you kind of think of them like the bank? Like a bank has to kind of look at the transaction and approve it? Exactly. Except instead of a bank, you just have any old person who's running this code. Yeah. Decentralized. Got it. Now, in order for me to want to do that, you have to make it worth my while. Just like the bank is getting a fee for processing a transaction, you have to put up a certain, you can think of it like a bid to say, hey, if you mine this transaction for me, I'll give you this small amount of money as, you know, just like compensation for doing the work of facilitating this transaction. Okay. Because yeah. this is literally the most simplistic understanding of what justifies what makes the network work. By trusting in the network, by mining on the network, by helping facilitate transactions, you are getting paid mm -hmm. in Bitcoin. 
So like in that GameStop example, if I'm giving the $20 and then I take that exact same input to this transaction of I give you 20 bucks for a game and give that same input as I want $20 for a brownie, that's a double spend because I'm recording the same input to a transaction twice. Mm -hmm. Again, this is like a lot of crazy stuff that I'll admit if you really want to be able to understand it, I know we're going to have links in the show notes, way to jump to the end of the episode, I know, but the broad strokes of what I'm getting at here is in order for it to be a double spend, you'd have to reuse that input from the first transaction in another transaction. And the Bitcoin network, because you have so many people checking so many transactions and all of them having to agree that they would be able to see, oh, you already used that input for a different transaction, so we can't let you use it again because that would fundamentally undermine how the network works. That would destroy the trust in knowing that when I promise $20 to someone, that $20 will always end up with that someone. Yeah, so theoretically, double spend on the Bitcoin network should be impossible, right? Theoretically. The thing is, all these technologies, they're still so new and they're operating on a scale that people are constantly pointing out potential flaws or potential things that could undermine the network as a whole. Like if you have more computational power than the whole network, you could technically override or hijack the ledger of transactions with that much power. Oh. And the thing that protects it from that is the biggest chains like Bitcoin and Ethereum have so many miners that you would literally need more computational power than like a whole country in order to do that. <laughs> wow, that is extremely interesting in a lot of stuff. <laughs> Yes. Now, I, th I think you still have the question for me, though, of did they manage to pull off a double spend? Because if they did that, that undermines the fundamental code, the like tautology that makes Bitcoin trustworthy. Ah, yes. I'll stop keeping everyone in suspense. The double spend error actually did not occur. So the Bitcoin network is good. It wasn't ruined. Let me give you some more info on that. BitMEX originally reported, quote, it appears as if a small double spend of around Point zero 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 six two zero six three Bitcoin, which is about $21, was detected. And then they later said that the double spend may be an RBF transaction, but then they tweeted that no RBF fee bombs have been detected. But ultimately, Bitfinex CTO. These, <laughs> these companies have the best names. I know. Why does every company decide they need to have Bit in their name? I don't know. But okay, ultimately, Bitfinex CTO Paolo Arduino, I hope I said that right. I'm sorry, <laughs> refuted the double spin claim, saying, in fact, what happened is that two blocks were mined simultaneously. As a consequence, there was a chain reorganization which did not result in double spending. Yeah, I, I feel like to unpack what is going on here, first let me explain what was happening with the transaction. Basically, this person wanted to send, honestly, an inconsequential amount of money, like the 20 bucks, unless this was some incredible test to see if you could get away with a double spend. The amount of money involved is so little, I cannot believe for a moment that this would be like a double spend. You'd think a yeah. double spend would like be <laughs> profitable. Yeah, this doesn't seem like something you want to commit fraud over. Now, the second thing they're talking about is called, I believe you call it an RBF or replaced by fee. Yes. So this is going back to that thing I said where you pay a miner to facilitate your transaction. The fee associated with the transaction is what the miner gets. Mm -hmm. And the problem this person had was they put way too low of a fee on the transaction. So okay. no miner was looking at it as a profitable investment to put their computational power in for what I assume was pennies worth of mining power. It's, this is just a fun piece of Bitcoin knowledge for you. The guy who created it, Satoshi Nakamoto, 
No one knows who he is. But the smallest unit of Bitcoin you can send someone, I believe it's like one one hundred millionth of a coin, is called a Satoshi. What? So when they said point oh 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 six three six eight, yeah, they sent six thousand three hundred sixty eight Satoshis. Oh. Huh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Fun tangent over. The point here is they tried to send a very small amount of Bitcoin and the fee was too low for any miner to think it was interesting. So a way to get around this is you can reuse the input to that transaction that never went through and then put a higher fee on the next transaction. Mm -hmm. That will hopefully entice someone. Now, the fear might be like, what would stop someone from going back and doing the last one? Well, the last one, the reason it stuck around, the reason people thought it was a double spend was... There were two different very big mining pools. Remember how I said this is a worldwide, you need a country worth of computational power to even threaten the computational power of the network? Yeah. Well, that also means there are tons of these big pools, these big mining pools of just incredible computational power constantly going through the network mining blocks. Okay. One pool found one block. One pool found the other block. Each one had a transaction with the same input, but different fees. The fee for one was not enough for anyone to care. And so because that block never actually went through, it became a stale block. It basically is just a block that someone found mined, but they didn't finish validating it before the network updated. So it just sat there and became what's called a stale block. Huh. All right. Meanwhile, on the other one, the transaction went through. But if I recall, it wasn't just two. There was like three transactions each one with a successively larger fee because this person was just trying to get their thing through. Like, this is happening hours <laughs> apart, not like seconds after each other. I feel like this is when you're on a website online and you're ordering something and you click the, like, submit button to, like, oh, I want to place this order. And then the page just keeps trying to load and it seems like it doesn't go through. So then you hit it, like, three more times and then suddenly you have four orders of pizza and you didn't expect that. That actually makes perfect sense. That's, that's a great way to put it, except <laughs> the pizza website isn't validating that you did didn't have the same input. Otherwise, it would notice that you just made four orders for pizza with the same input. Yes. Here on the Bitcoin network, we're trying to make sure that you didn't just put in three orders of pizza, promising the same $20 bill each time. And so what happened was the other transactions, they didn't go through. They fell away. And by the time the transaction resolved, people thought they had seen two transactions with the same input. That's the most important thing to remember here is when you think of a transaction, like I want to buy pizza or I want to buy a game or whatever, mm -hmm. there's realistically two parties entering in an agreement. Sam Pizza wants to sell me pizza for 20 bucks. I want Sam Pizza for $20. So I am inputting $20 into the transaction. Sam Pizza is putting in a pizza worth $20 into the transaction. And when the transaction resolves, I have a pizza and she has $20. Making sure I don't reuse that same $20 bill with the same serial number minted from the same place. All the like little caveats I go in and say this is the specific same bill is what's happening here. They want to make sure... I didn't somehow magically reuse that 20. And this person definitely did not. Yeah. They were not able to redo the same transaction. The transaction went through and when all is said and done, only one transaction resolved and was committed to the network. All right. So I feel like in summary for this story, what happened was that a report of a potential double spend was made. And because people thought, oh, no, a double spin may have occurred, which could undermine Bitcoin's entire network, that then led to people, I guess, either selling their Bitcoin or just Bitcoin not having as much of a valuation. And that would contribute to the price drop. Yeah, it's a confidence game. If I have confidence that Elon Musk is a good CEO leading a good company with good assets, then Tesla stock is going to go up. If I don't have confidence in it, it's going to go down because people are going to want to sell their stock. They're not going to want to be part of it. Exact same thing here. Except Bitcoin's value it comes from confidence in the network and its confidence against other things like the dollar. Mm -hmm. If the government of the United States is being turbulent, 
I might want to try to divest from dollars to bitcoins because I have more <laughs> trust in a global decentralized currency than I do on dollars. And if you want to get into some of my thoughts and more about how blockchains and Bitcoin work. Again, I made a video about it. I'm going to level with you. I'm not actually a huge fan of Bitcoin. I personally find it very annoying. But I mean, it's a really cool technology and there's a lot going on there. But that doesn't sound like it's all that's going on with the story. I was just about to say, how about we transition to the second part of the story? All right. So the first part was, did Bitcoin have a double spend? It definitely did not. I think we both agree on that. Mm -hmm. What's part two? Part two is talking about Janet Yellen, who is oh yeah <laughs> who Cameron seems excited about <laughs> listen Janet Yellen if, if I recall what, what's her current role within the Biden administration well she is the nominee for Treasury Secretary well I first encountered Janet Yellen and her incredible works when she was Fed chair back in 20 like 2014 to 2018 I didn't look that up on Wikipedia at all no but legitimately <laughs> every time I was listening to marketplace back when I did listen to marketplace on NPR and Kai Rizdal was like Janet Yellen's doing this or that I was like of course she is because her monetary theory game is on point I'm not a freaking nerd at all shut up <laughs> all right well I'll be curious to see if you're a continued fan of hers after this so Janet Yellen President Biden's nominee for Treasury Secretary suggested two days before the big price fall of Bitcoin that lawmakers limit the use of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin because of its use in illegal activities. So let me read you the quote from her, which was in response to a senator asking her about the dangers of terrorists using cryptocurrencies. I believe this was during one of her confirmation hearings. Here are the quotes. You're absolutely right that the technologies to accomplish this change over time, and we need to make sure that our methods for dealing with these matters with terrorist financing change along with changing technology. Cryptocurrencies are a particular concern. I think many are used, at least in a transaction sense, mainly for illicit financing. And I think we really need to examine ways in which we can curtail their use and make sure that money laundering doesn't occur through those channels. All right. So I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. And I think the biggest thing that people hate about cryptocurrency when it comes to this particular kind of problem is it's global decentralized style. Like I keep saying, it's decentralized. Anyone can run the code, which means that there's no one government, no one entity who can dictate how Bitcoins are used, how they're redeemed, mm -hmm. what's going on there. So wanting to curtail people getting and using a very volatile, very hard to control currency that could tomorrow have so much money that could they could suddenly finance an entire terrorist state who just happened to have enough Bitcoin. That could be very problematic. So wanting to have more controls and restrictions on that is fine because it's like it's not like stocks. Like, you can't just say, like, all right, this company did a bad thing. When Bitcoin does something bad, who do you go after? Yeah, who would? There, no one. There's no one person. Exactly. But here's the funny thing about Bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies. They're public. Imagine if every single time you paid someone any amount of cash, that amount was recorded to a ledger every human being on the planet held. Hmm. Every human being might not know that this is Cameron's wallet. But they know that someone with this wallet just spent 20 bucks on X, Y, or Z. They'd probably be wondering why I'm spending so much money on Taco Bell. They would be wondering that. <laughs> I still wonder that. But the point here is, with the exception of more private cryptocurrencies like Monero and Zcash, the vast majority of these cryptocurrencies, their transactions are recorded to ledgers. Now, again, the nature of this podcast, the fact that I've studied the stuff for so long that in order for me to dump all this information out there, I need several audiobooks worth of time. Oh boy. Yeah, we do not have that time. Yeah. There are there are tricks. You can do tricks where you can go offshore 
more easily with Bitcoin because it's not like cash. No one's making sure you don't deposit 10 grand or more in a bank account without having to report it like they do in U.S. banking law. Mm -hmm. Its ability to move across borders helps muddy that paper trail. But at the end of the day, the currency is still on a ledger. It is in some ways more traceable than the cash you would typically expect going towards financing these terrorists. So it's a give and take, but I think at the end of the day, weirdly enough, from her standpoint, there's a lot of reasons you'd want to regulate anything, including cryptocurrency. And a big part of it is hopefully to help protect people who are interested in investing it and using it in a marketplace. Oh, that's interesting, because you're saying that actually regulations in this case would be helpful to Bitcoin in establishing it. Did I hear that right? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to get at. There are certainly ways that you can use cryptocurrency to finance terrorism. I mean, Silk Road was a big part of that. This ability to, once you had coins and no one had a way to control how those coins were used or who they went to, unlike like a bank transfer from a specific bank that you have control over, Mm -hmm. this allows for it to move more freely and buy more illicit goods that are harder to regulate. But when you are doing a better job of not just acknowledging it, but trying to regulate it, trying to get feet on the ground to understand how this technology works and fits into your economy, you can help mitigate certain risks and bolster people's confidence in using that currency. Like having people want Bitcoins, not knowing if tomorrow they'll be worth anything is not actually that good in favor of Bitcoin. But seeing world governments on board with Bitcoin can foster even more trust in Bitcoin. That it can be a win-win where the government's like, oh, we actually want to make sure that this can be part of our economy. And people with Bitcoin are like, oh, this thing I was curious about investing in, this decentralized currency that no government can control, governments are still on board. Hmm. Now, again, oversimplified to hell, there are lots of ways you can still use cryptocurrency to fund terrorism, but there's lots of ways you can use almost anything to fund terrorism. So while people want to single out Bitcoin, that's probably the least useful currency, cryptocurrency, to fund terrorism with. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. I now want to hear Cameron's hot take on the best way to fund terrorism. What would be the best cryptocurrency then? Like, are you saying not Bitcoin because Bitcoin's famous? No, it's because it's traceable. I know this wallet address sent that wallet X amount of money because the global ledger that everyone operates off of with that block that would stale. So you need another block and then the fees and all that. All of that stuff is designed to be as transparent as possible. And people like to think like, oh, the wallet isn't Cameron. The wallet isn't Sam. The wallet isn't whoever. Yeah, it's random numbers and letters or some link. But it's at best pseudo anonymous. Like the wallet might be better described as a pseudonym than making you completely anonymous because your wallet is your wallet. So Mm -hmm. you can go make a new wallet. You can transfer all your coins to that wallet. But at the end of the day, if I'm following the paper trail and I'm doing it fast enough, I can figure out who you are. That's a good point. Now, this is not Cameron's anarchist cookbook hour of which (laughs) cryptocurrency is best for this. But I did mention there are privacy coins that do a better job of making sure to facilitate transactions without exposing wallets that are involved in those transactions or how many coins are in those wallets. Like right now, you can go on the Bitcoin ledger and figure out who is a billionaire. You might not know who what their name is, but you know which wallet addresses hold the most coin. (laughs) Wow, that's crazy to think of that I can look up and know, oh, this one wallet, which I'm assuming is a person, holds this much value of Bitcoin. Yeah, and this is a serious mark in favor of decentralized currencies that have this level of transparency. On the one hand, we don't like the idea of people knowing how much we're spending or how much money we have. On the other hand, knowing who the biggest people with the most money are Mm -hmm. is pretty valuable because then you can see, oh, person with way too much money seems to be spending way too much money on misinformation or spending way too much money on questionable project or way too much money on lobbyists. And it helps build that transparency. Now, again, super simplified. (laughs) 
Lots of caveats, but there are a lot of ticks in favor of digital currencies, including Bitcoin. I just personally don't like the hype. <laughs> All right. And I think to summarize is that basically this comment that was made by Janet Yellen, it made some people worried that the Biden administration would be hostile to cryptocurrencies and ramp up regulation. So both this event and the potential double spend event just occurring at the same time led to the price of Bitcoin drastically falling. Yeah, that's exactly it. Again, it's a confidence game. We saw something similar, I think, back in 2017 during the last time it rallied where people were getting worried about Bitcoin and just as many people didn't understand what a cryptocurrency was then. So this is one of those things where I don't think Janet Yellen's actually threatening anything. I think she's saying this is something we're paying attention to. Whereas I think Trump came out as being actively against Bitcoin. Oh, really? Yes. But here they're saying we're, we're trying to be more egalitarian. Like, obviously, we're going to prevent terrorists from being terrorists because I, I think everyone in general agrees that that's a good thing to not have terrorism. <laughs> But at the same time, they're trying to be more measured in their response specifically to cryptocurrency in general. And I want to point out that cryptocurrency still has lots of interest from, you know, other businesses and people. I have a list here. Square and PayPal let users buy and sell it. And you've top investors like Paul Tudor Jones, Stanley Drunkenmiller and Anthony Scaramucci that are investing in it. And actually, I know. And read recently that a top executive at BlackRock said, you may not want to quote me on this, but they're considering on creating a like portfolio for people to invest in it or include it in one of their portfolios. This is the part where sometimes stock stuff just goes over my head. Well, this is the funny thing. Like if you think of like index funds like the S&P 500, the index fund is literally a basket of S&P 500 stocks. Like Standard & Poor's says these 500 companies are the best ones. And the index fund is just a pile of all those stocks in a basket and you can buy it. Instead of buying whole stocks, you just buy a chunk of that basket. Mm-hmm. And the important thing here is like cryptocurrency, honestly, when you look at it mechanically in terms of how it has value is similar to a stock. Having a coin is like having a stock, except now you can have 100 millionth of a stock. So in some ways it becomes more accessible than a specific stock, but there's also nothing stopping people from treating it like a stock. If you put a coin in with your stocks, you have a $40,000 asset next to however much Tesla's going for these days. <laughs> and they're honestly like they're. There's this is the funniest part. Like there are mutual funds and index funds and all sorts of things that already do this. Cryptocurrency is already something you can invest in in the normal stock market. (laughs) And I think you kind of are making a good point of that cryptocurrency isn't going away. Like even if people in the Biden administration were hostile to cryptocurrency, it's not going to poof be gone in a minute because it's just it's caught a lot of appeal. Yeah, it's and that's the thing. It can't go away. It literally is the genius out of the bag. There's no way. For you to isolate and shut down the entire Bitcoin network because of the way miners operate, because of the fact that the code is just out there for anyone to use. Hmm. And the sheer amount of computational power that goes into the network also protects it from any one state actor being able to override the whole network. Now, I know for a fact if enough people listen to this episode, someone, a crypto professional, a cybersecurity professional, someone will tell me, Cameron, you're full of crap. I probably, (laughs) like honestly, at the end of the day, This technology is changing so fast. People are finding out new things about it all the time. I might be. But at the end of the day, the important thing is that Bitcoin is a blockchain. And I'm going to stand on my soapbox for a moment because this is, I'm not going to lie, the entire point of the video I made. Blockchains are a really cool, really powerful technology. I care about them. I research them. 
because they enable transparency and in simplification for people who can't normally afford the institutions we take for granted in the US. If you want to go and buy a house, deeds are basically digital now. Someone is standing there making sure that when you buy a house, it's in your name and mm -hmm. someone can't come along and steal your deed and do something crappy with it. If you live in the third world, you do not have that luxury. Yeah. Someone can just take your property whenever they want. If property and land management and land registries exist on a blockchain, a decentralized blockchain, a global decentralized blockchain, it drastically complicates and basically prevents someone from being able to quickly show up and steal what is yours because they would need to manipulate a blockchain and blockchains are really good at preventing people from doing that. And I feel like on that note, that may be where we end today. Can you help me down from the soapbox? <laughs> uh, yes, let me grab you there. <laughs> All right, this gag is now over. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to my ramblings. Sam, if they want to fact check anything and probably everything I had to say, where should they look? You can check out all my sources in the show notes. Thank you, as always, Scott, for making us sound buttery smooth. I'm sure you had to edit out a lot of my ravings and rantings to make this episode work. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. And as for me, I'm not a financial advisor, but I do think Bitcoin's pretty cool and everyone stay safe. Yes. Stay safe, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.